0: take your bibles and turn with me to john john chapter 15 i want to look this morning at the subject matter the resurrection life of jesus in the life of a believer the resurrection life of jesus in the life of a believer would you stand with me for the reading of god's word please we'll begin in verse one and we'll read down through verse eleven Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Lord, Lord Jesus, we're so grateful That it is your desire to live your life in and through us. You've reconciled us to the Father. You've saved us. But you've not only saved us from something. You've saved us for something. And that is to abide in you and bear fruit. That is to your glory. Father speak to us through these words. May your Holy Spirit do in hearts what only he can do. I can speak to ears, but God, I ask you to speak to hearts. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke in chapter 6 of Matthew's gospel about the danger of doing things in order to be seen by men. And he gave a couple of illustrations of that. He told about how some people would plan their trips into the city of Jerusalem and so so they would arrive at a busy intersection just at the time of prayer and they would pause and they would pray there publicly, Jesus said, in order to be seen by men. And he said, if you do your acts of righteousness before men simply to be seen by them, you will get a reward, you will get a pat on the back from men, but you will not get a reward from God. You will get what you're after, man's praise. He gave another illustration of giving those who would give in order to be seen by men and praised by men. And again he condemned the act of doing things Doing deeds of of religious fervor Simply with the motive of being seen by men Folks as we come to John chapter 15 We see in this text here that the Lord's followers Are not simply to look good or sound good In the eyes of people But we are to abide in the Lord and we are to allow him to abide in us. And there is that fruit that grows out of our lives because of the Lord in us. Jesus said here that we are to go and bear fruit. This is to be one of the distinctive marks of the Christian life. Now this morning I want us to see that a vital connection to Jesus makes fruitful Christian lives possible. Do you ever question your own fruitfulness? Do you ever question your own effectiveness? If you do so, the place to start evaluating that is to look at this issue of abiding in the Lord. Are you doing that as the Lord has commanded? We know that Jesus was preparing his disciples for his time of departure from him. His physical departure after his resurrection. He wanted them to understand that that they were going to need to properly relate to one another. They needed to love one another. The great commandment that he gave them in in chapter 13 verse 34. Jesus said there that all the world would know that they were his disciples if they truly loved one another. And they also needed to understand clearly how they were to properly relate to the world they would be hated by the world and this was not to be a great surprise to them because the world hates Jesus. He's the master, we're his servants. If they hated the master, they will hate his servants as well. Now the key to properly relating to one another and loving one another and the key to properly relating to the world and standing up under the world's persecutions and bearing fruit in the process would be found in their relationship to him you see that it is this relationship to Jesus Christ abiding in him and he in us that will define and shape everything else about our christian service folks if we mess up here we'll mess up everywhere And so this is where he begins with him. Again, how we relate to Jesus Christ determines everything else. I want us to see that he is the source of the Christian life. We're going to look at the secret of the Christian life and the satisfaction of the Christian life. First of all, I want you to see this morning the source of the Christian life. In verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I I have spoken to you. Jesus is the source of the Christian life. Because of the resurrection, he lives. He lives at the Father's right hand in heaven. But folks, he also lives and abides in us. He abides in us as a body of believers and he abides in us individually as well through the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus is the true vine who cleanses us. Now Jesus is pointing a very painting a very powerful image here with this image of a vine and its branches. It's very much like the apostle Paul giving us the image of the body of Christ. Paul said in his letters, in this image of the body of Christ, Christ is our head, he gives us direction, and we are all individually members of his body. Well, Jesus is communicating much the same idea here with the image of a vine and its branches that in turn bear fruit. But the image is a bit different. If anything, it may be more intensive. Not only do we gain direction from him, we gain life from him. Jesus is our source of life. This is what a vine does. A vine gives life to the branches. Enabling the branches to then do in turn what they are supposed to do. Folks, there's got to be a vital connection to Jesus if we're going to have true life. Now, I want you to stay with me here for a moment concerning an issue that commentators point out. It is a good point, a valid point, and a point that if we do not understand, we will miss something of the essence and significance of this passage. In the Old Testament there were passages that spoke about Israel being a vine planted by the Lord. Israel. In the temple above the curtain that led into the Holy of Holies there was a large golden vine representing Israel. Wealthy citizens could continually add to the golden vine by bringing golden grapes or golden leaves that metal workers would work into the vine. In each of the Old Testament references to Israel being the vine, what is emphasized is the fact that Israel failed as the vine. Israel did not bear fruit to the nations that they were supposed to. I want you to listen to a couple of passages. The first would be Psalm 80. In Psalm 80 beginning in verse 8 the psalmist said, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty uh, cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? So that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. And then in Isaiah chapter 5 we see another example. Beginning in verse 1 the prophet says let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded wine. Grapes. The Hebrew is stink berries. And now, O oh inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I've not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield stink berries? The image of a vine was a type, a shadow that pointed to Jesus. Jesus is saying here to his disciples in John 15 that he is the true vine. They were thinking that the nation was the vine and he's saying he's the true vine that would be the one to arise out of the nation as the Messiah who would bring them salvation. In fact, he would bring salvation even to the nations. The significance here is that the average Jew would have believed that a connection to Israel would save them. In other words, they trusted in their bloodline, their heredity. But as the Bible points out, heredity can't save. Paul had to remind them in the book of Romans of this that the true child of God is the one who is a child by faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, God chose the Jew and that was a great privilege but he chose them to bear fruit to the nations. They failed because they thought it was all a matter of the externals. I'm spending a little more time there today because it's, it's like people today. People today tend to think they're right with God because of their family, because of their background, because of their upbringing. Or people think, hey, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a Catholic or whatever they may be, and so they think, I'm okay, But a certain religious group can't save. It's not about being connected to the right nation or the right group. It is about being connected to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true vine. He is the only one that can give us life and reconcile us to God and cleanse us and forgive us of our sins. You know, for the same reason that they trusted in their bloodlines, though they also trusted in their religious practice, their liturgy. God told Israel, I am sick and tired of your solemn assemblies, your fast and your your special festivals and your offerings that you do. He said, I want you to repent of your sins and come to me. That I may give you life. They felt life came simply from going through the motions of their religious observance. Here again, people do that today. They think, I go to church, I, I take part in communion, I've been baptized. Hey, I'm okay. And all of those things are wonderful. But those things will not save The question is, have you been born again? Have you been connected to Jesus? Is His life in you? He's the vine, He gives life. He gives life to the branches that we in turn might bear fruit that brings him glory. He's the one who saves. He's the source of life. As he says here in verse 3, he cleanses us. How do you get clean? How do you get forgiven? How How are you made right? Before the eyes of God by believing God's word and coming to faith in Christ. Romans 10 says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 5.8 says but God demonstrates his love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of life. He's the true vine. He cleanses. He forgives. He saves. Not only does he cleanse, though, Jesus is also the true vine who nourishes us. Every moment of every day a vine sends minerals and nutrients into the branches so that the branches can do what they're supposed to do. Now folks, that's what it means to live the Christian life. You're connected to the vine. You have the life of the vine nourishing you, giving you strength every day, enabling you to do what God's called you to do. I believe that this is one of the very reasons why so many Christians live dry and boring Christian lives. There's no joy of the Lord in them and they don't sense the strength of the Lord. It's because while they are saved, there's no daily fellowship with the Lord. There's no nourishment going on. They're not in the word of God and they're not in prayer. Jesus promises that he will feed us. He will nourish us. He is the the bread of life. And he said to the woman at the well that he would be like an artesian well springing up inside of her if she would only believe in him. And we're promised the same thing. But folks, what do we do so often? We get up. We go about our day. And many days... We don't even think about the Lord. We make no attempt whatsoever to get into God's word and allow the Lord to feed us and nourish us. Is it any wonder we can be so weak and anemic? I want to challenge you to have that daily quiet time. Get on a Bible reading plan that that you can flourish with. Folks, Jesus will nourish you. He will feed you. But you've got to come to the table and put your feet under the table and get your fork out. And you've got to feast on him. You understand what I'm saying? People say all the time, I can't do what God expects me to do. Well, of course you can't. They're exactly right. If you try to live the Christian life in your own strength, you're going to fail miserably. But Christ will nourish you. He will help you. First, he cleanses you and secondly, he nourishes you. And then Jesus points out here not only does he cleanse us and nourish us but he also joins us to God. Jesus speaks here about his father being the gardener and the two of them will work together in the believer's life. And so to have Jesus means that you not only have the life that the vine gives but you get a relationship with the gardener as well. Jesus said in John 14 6 I'm the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me and so let's think about what is being communicated to us here if we were to go back into John chapter 14 we would see that that Jesus is taking us to the father likewise in John 14 Jesus pointed out that we have the spirit dwelling within us and then in John chapter 15 again we have Jesus taking us to the Father and so in these two chapters we see every member of the Trinity at work in us and each member of the Trinity has a very specific role. We see Jesus bringing life because He's the true vine. We see the Spirit bringing comfort He's the comforter and the helper, and we see the Father bringing maturity and discipline. The Father helps mature us by disciplining us and lifting us up. Look again at verse 2. Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Uh, uh, One of the meanings of the word takes away literally means he lifts up. You see, when a gardener tending grapes would see a branch that was not bearing fruit, the first thing he would do would be to lift up that branch and tack it up because grapevines will not produce grapes lying on the ground. And so he would lift them up and he would attach them so they would stay up and then he would trim them, he would prune them. And Jesus is saying that's what the Father does, he prunes us. And boy, that's painful, isn't it? Because he's talking about discipline. But it's ongoing. It's an ongoing part of the Christian's life. Now we know also that a new grapevine was not allowed to bear fruit for up to three years. It would be lifted up and pruned during that time so that it would get well established. And then after it was well established every year the gardener would trim away at the branches and so again it's an ongoing process it wasn't an overnight process now folks this is a beautiful illustration of what God does in our lives it's a beautiful analogy that Jesus is giving here you see something wonderful happens at conversion at conversion we become a new creation in Christ It's the new birth, a spiritual birth. Just like you were physically born, to be a Christian means that you are spiritually born. That's the second birth. And when you're spiritually born, sin is no longer your master the way it once was. You have a new master. You're under new management, we might say. Jesus is your master but you know though this happens in an instant at conversion we have this lifetime of bad habits that we enjoyed before our conversion and at conversion some of those bad habits some of those sinful ways just dropped away instantly You probably remember when you came to faith in Christ, there were some things in your life you instantly got over. Some sins that you enjoyed, you instantly turned away for. You didn't have any desire for them whatsoever anymore. But there were some other things maybe that lingered longer. Some of those things take months and years to deal with. Again it's an ongoing process Sometimes we wonder why Christians aren't instantly changed overnight Well we are But the fleshing out of the results goes on for a lifetime This lifting up and trimming and pruning goes on and on and on It's like what Paul said in Philippians 1.6 He said I'm confident of this very thing That he who began a good work in you will do what? He will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing work. The ongoing work of the Father to prune us, to discipline us, to mature us, to conform us more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. The key is, is that this is a process that's underway in your life. Evidence of conversion is that this pruning, this disciplining is present in your life. Hebrews 12 says that if it's not present in your life, that's evidence that you're an illegitimate son. Again Paul describes the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3:18. He says, "But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit." You see he says we're being transformed from glory to glory. It's ongoing. So Jesus cleanses us, he redeems us, he changes us, he forgives us. He feeds us, he nourishes us, he joins us to the Father, reconciles us to God. He's the source of our new life. You don't have spiritual life apart from Jesus. It's interesting how you, you listen to people talk about spiritual life and some of, the, some of the ideas that people have. You listen to people who do other things and they, and, and they talk about knowing God. Well, folks, the Bible is clear. You do not know God apart from Jesus Christ. You do not have a relationship with him apart from Jesus Christ. You do not have spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. He's the source of life. Secondly, what Jesus talks of here is the secret of the Christian life. Look at verses 4 and 5 here. He says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Ten times in this passage, Jesus says, abide in, me. abide in me. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Abide in me, abide in me. Abide in me, abide in me. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Ten times. One of the ways in the Bible that something would be emphasized would be through repetition. And that's what Christ is doing here. Ten times. You think there's a message in that for us? I think there is. What are we to do? We're to abide. Abiding is necessary, Jesus points out, for bearing fruit. Abiding is necessary for bearing fruit. Now folks, don't miss this, okay? Bearing fruit is not the result of human achievement. Let me say that again. Bearing fruit is not the result of human achievement. It is the result of abiding. Bearing fruit is the result of Christ at work within us as we abide in Him. He's talking here about the basic disciplines of the Christian life. Don't try harder, instead, abide more. We never outgrow our need for the basics. You talk to musicians. I remember going back to my band and orchestra days. The the best musicians among us. You talk to professional musicians today. Even people who, who reach the very top of their discipline, their art. They will tell you one thing they never get away from is the basics. Every day on their instruments they are practicing the basics. They're going over things like their scales. They never get away from that. Basics. Folks, as Christians, we never get away from the basics. If we're serious about following the Lord, we've got to seek Him daily. We've got to read His Word. We've got to study His Word. We've got to be in prayer. We've got to go to church. And we've got to fellowship with other believers. Basics. You never outgrow your need for basics and that's what abiding refers to staying close to the Lord abiding in him and allowing the Lord and his word to abide in us and as that happens we bear fruit abiding also reflects dependence upon God we're helpless on our own Jesus said without me you can do nothing What's he mean by that? That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Apart from him, you can do nothing. Very interesting phrase. Because on the one hand, in practicality, you can do many things apart from Christ. Lost men and women in the world do it every day. They have families, they raise kids, They start businesses, they build businesses They they buy and sell and trade and do this and that and the other People do things every day Apart from Christ And yet Jesus says here You can do nothing apart from me Was Jesus lying? Is Jesus telling us something false here? No What's he talking about then? He's emphasizing that we can do absolutely nothing of true value, nothing of kingdom value that matters to God apart from him. Think about that. You can do nothing of true value. Oh, sure, there's a lot you can do that you get to the end of your life and you spun your wheels doing a lot of stuff. You climb to the top of your ladder to discover what? Your ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. There's a lot you can do in your life apart from it. But there is nothing you can do in your life apart from him of true kingdom value. I want you to think about that. Your life apart from abiding in Christ and him in you as far as kingdom value will amount to a big fat zero. A man may be very successful in his business but without Christ his work is vanity. No true lasting value. You know what? Far too many people who are even professing Christians live that way there may be a lot of activity in our lives that's happening but in reality there's not much happening now let's be honest haven't you lived too many days of your life like this wasted too many days of your life like this there's plenty of days plenty of weeks even weeks we can look back on And we look back on that week in all honesty and we say, you know what? If I'm honest with God, there's really not a lot that I've accomplished this week for him. But on the other hand, if we abide in him, he and us, and his pruning work is going on, then we're amazed at what God does. We're amazed at what God accomplishes through us. Everything about our life takes on a new dimension. We, we look at our relationships differently. We start wondering how we can witness better to those around us. We start looking at our time and our opportunities differently. We start thinking of making the most of our time. For Jesus' sake, we desire to redeem the time. And we start looking at our service for Christ differently. Our service isn't a burden, it's a joy. And so by abiding in Christ, everything changes. That's what I want you to see, folks. By abiding in Christ, everything changes. Now, there's a... A strong warning in this passage for people who care nothing at all about this. They have no use for abiding and they care nothing about the Lord's discipline in their life. Look at what Jesus said in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus is saying here is someone who really doesn't even belong to me. There may be that outward appearance of belonging, but there's no true belonging. And so the only thing left to do with that person in the end, if they continue down that path, is gather them up like dry twigs and tossed and burned in the fire. The judgment of God. Folks, who was the perfect example of that? Who was the perfect example of verse 6? I heard it. Judas. Judas. He had hung out with Jesus for three years. He would hung out with the other 11 disciples for three years. He had heard Jesus teach all of his his parables and all of his teaching that he did he had witnessed the miracles that Jesus did he had seen so much and yet he did not have the life of the vine in him there was never a vital connection You see, it's possible to hang around God's people to be exposed to all of the blessings of God and yet not be one of His. What reveals that? What reveals that is your life. There's no abiding, no desire for the things of God, no fruit. There's no work of God in your life. You are spiritually dead. There's just no other way of describing it. You're spiritually dead. But for God's children, it's different. I want you to see thirdly the satisfaction of the Christian life. Beginning in verse 7. When we catch on to the secret of the Christian life, some amazing things are going to happen. God is going to do some things in your life that are going to lead to a great sense, a deep sense of satisfaction in your heart. And the first thing is bearing fruit. He talks in verse 8 and again, I mean verse 5 and again in verse 8 about bearing fruit. When you get saved and abide in the Lord, He brings about fruit in your life you get the joy and the satisfaction of seeing what God is now doing in you and through you. That's one of the exciting things about being a Christian. Now in the Bible, when the Bible talks about bearing fruit, there's always two things that are in mind. Sometimes one is highlighted, sometimes the other is highlighted, sometimes both of them are highlighted together. But the first aspect of bearing fruit is the inner fruit, Galatians 5:22, the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, meekness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, those type things. The ninefold fruit of the spirit. That's the inner fruit. And the believer has the satisfaction of seeing God grow that fruit of the Spirit within him, within his heart. Then if there is the inner fruit that is present, then secondly there's going to be the outer fruit. And the outer fruit is the people you impact for Christ. You see, if the inner fruit is there, the fruit of the Spirit, you can't help but have outer fruit. When you become somebody new on the inside, you'll have an impact on others from the outside. You produce fruit. Now notice what Jesus says about that fruit. The longer that we're a Christian, the more we abide, the fruit increases. He began by saying you bear fruit and then he went on to say you bear more fruit and finally he ends up saying you bear much fruit. So he talks about cleansing us when we're redeemed. Then we're able to bear fruit. We abide in him. The Father prunes us. We bear more fruit. And as this pruning continues and, and we walk with Christ more and more, we end up bearing much fruit. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. Folks, that's the process that's supposed to be happening in your life and in my life. And then notice what Jesus says happens when that process is taking place. He says this fruit brings glory to God. Who gets the glory for it? God does. You know who I think of? I think of the apostle Paul. Read Paul's conversion story this afternoon in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 begins with Paul being Rabbi Saul. He's still an unbeliever. And he's breathing out threats against the Christians. They're scared of him. As the chapter goes on and Paul's on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him, converts him. He's a saved man. Rabbi Saul becomes the apostle Paul. You get to the end of the chapter and what do you see the church doing? The church is giving glory to God Because of the change in Paul's life. His life is now bearing fruit for the glory of God. They're glorifying and praising God. Isn't that great? That's great. That's the way it's supposed to be. We bear fruit and then more fruit and then much fruit. Do we get the glory for what God is doing in and through us? No, he gets the glory. A second satisfaction that the Christian sees is answered prayer. Seeing answered prayer. In verse 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Folks, abiding is the key to a powerful prayer life. Abiding is the key to a powerful prayer life. If you do not abide in the Lord, if you lead a carnal Christian life, if you're always thinking about yourself and you're always thinking about the flesh, then that's how you're going to be praying. And God's not going to answer those prayers. You start abiding and getting close to the Lord and reading his word and getting to know God. When you start getting to know God, then you start asking for things that are according to God's will. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this is the confidence that we have when we pray according to the will of God. We have the petitions that we've asked of God. When we're abiding in the Lord, we're praying differently. We're praying according to the will of God, and so we have the satisfaction of seeing God answer those prayers. If you don't see answered prayer in your life, don't do like what a lot of people do. A lot of people just stop praying. They say, you know what? Prayer doesn't work. I've tried it, it doesn't work. I never get my prayers answered. Instead of stopping praying, what you need to do is start abiding. Because as you start abiding, your praying's going to be different and you're going to see prayers answered. A third satisfaction you're going to have is enjoying greater assurance in your heart. Verse 8. Jesus said there in verse 8, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You're going to look at your own life and see the change, and you're going to know that it's God that has worked that change in you. You're going to have confidence and assurance. And then a last satisfaction you're going to have is experiencing joy, verse 11. Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The Christian abiding in Jesus has joy. The world thinks that being a Christian takes all of the fun out of life but the more you abide in Jesus you find that the sweeter life becomes. Folks, what I'm wanting you to see in this message is the one thing that you and I are being challenged to work on in our lives is abiding in Christ. That one thing, if we will work on abiding in Christ, Christ in us, and abiding in His Word and His Word in us, that will take care of so much that you and I desire in our Christian lives. You are not called by God to get up each day and go and see what you can do in the power of the flesh. And again, too many Christians are trying to live that way. And they're frustrated. They're frustrated because they don't see God use them. They don't see answered prayer. They're they're weak in in their faith because they're approaching the whole thing wrong. Jesus is saying the one priority you and I need to have in our life is abiding in him. And when we get that right, he'll be the one to help everything else fall into its proper order. How are you doing at that one thing? Would you bow with me please? This morning I want to ask you, do you personally know Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you know about him. Do you know him? He is the source of life. If you don't know Christ, you do not have life, eternal life. And you need to come to him today. Step out of the pew where you'll be standing in a moment singing. Come down the aisle closest to you. I'd love to pray with you. If you know that you need Christ in your life, if you need to be born again and you need spiritual life, I'd love to pray with you about that. If you know that you've had that experience of being born again, I'm going to ask you, are you daily abiding in him? Are you investing in that? Or are you neglecting that? If you're neglecting it, it shows and you know it. And I want to challenge you as a Christian to get back to the one thing that you and I are being called on to put a priority on, abiding in him. Lord as your people help us to do what you command we try so hard on our own and we fail and we go through our life frustrated God the one thing you want us to work on is abiding in you Lord, we thank you for the joy, the liberty, the freedom that you give us when we do that. The things that we see you doing in and through us that we could have never drawn up on a piece of paper for ourselves. We see your work. Lord, help us to be found faithful at this one thing. Forgive us that we've neglected this one thing so often. Forgive us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.